This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., and aired in Michigan through Lancer Broadcasting and in Mississippi and the South through Supertalk Mississippi Media, we are delighted and truly honored to welcome a great American Foster Freeze. Foster Freeze founded Freeze Associates with his wife, Lynn, in 1974. His investment strategy, based on the premise that individual company fundamentals drive stock prices, generated strong results for the portfolios he managed on behalf of institutions and high net worth individuals over the firm's first decade. At the end of 1985, Freeze launched Brandywine Fund to handle smaller investments from family friends, and others drawn to the firm's research-driven approach. Brandywine Blue Fund followed in 1991, and the success of Brandywine Funds helped put Freeze Associates among the industry's most notable boutique growth equity managers by the start of the new millennium. Among their many philanthropic commitments, Foster and Lynn, through the Freeze Family Foundation, support mobile medical vans in needy U.S. neighborhoods, provide clean drinking water in Malawi, Africa, and assist and natural disaster relief efforts around the world. Foster received the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award and Child Helps Spirit of the Children Award, among other honors. Indeed, it is our great honor at America's Roundtable to welcome an inspiring leader. Welcome, Foster Freeze. Welcome, Foster. I'm glad to be on with you, Joe and Natasha. Foster, you are an embodiment or personification of the American dream. In one of your interviews, you shared about your humble beginnings coming out of the army with just $800. And since then, you have lived the true American dream. The Business Week article in 2001 said that you may be the longest surviving successful growth stock picker, having navigated markets for 36 years in your own firm since 1974. In 1999, CNBC called you one of the century's great investors. You you have accumulated significant wealth and much of it commendably shared through philanthropy. Foster, when you look back at the environment for entrepreneurs, businesses and investors in America since the 1970s and those conditions and principles that made the American dream possible, how would you compare it to the environment today? Are we moving away from the American dream's principle of equality of opportunity to socialism's creed of equality of outcome in America today. Yes, we're, we're moving away like a freight train because there's a lot of the college students now have been kind of sold a bill of goods about how wonderful socialism is. And I think it's very frightening to, to see that the people who believe in free markets and the American dream really aren't saying much. You know, they talk about income inequality. And so many people, even on the right, talk about how terrible income inequality is. 
well, how are you going to have the American dream if you don't have income inequality? You got one guy flipping burgers at a McDonald's, and he says, you know, I could start my own fast food chain. And suddenly he has eight, nine stores and becomes a multimillionaire, and people want to criticize him for that. So I'm very grateful for the recognition that uh, my, my investment strategies have had. In fact, when I ran for governor two years ago in Wyoming, Forbes magazine came right in the middle of the campaign very timely and, and named me along with Peter Lynch, John Templeton, and Warren Buffett among uh, the top 10 money managers of this generation. So that helped me win the most Republican votes, even though the Democrats crossed over and put me in second place. Foster, what would your advice be to legislators and voters who vote for those legislators in order to sustain and further extend the American dream? I think we're really in a hard spot right now. And I was just thinking about that today. Why doesn't every community that, that has uh, the opportunity to confront the Congress? I was thinking, how do we combat this? Why couldn't we get you to get a bunch of your friends together and every Tuesday go to your congressman's office and say, yo, this is what we want. We don't want to stop the uh, Keystone Pipeline. If you got enough public support, Maybe you could do something to get Congress to reverse trend, even though the Democrats kind of control everything. What, what I've started with, and I had a call from Ben Carson, who started something similar. His is called American Cornerstone, and mine is called Foster's Outriders. And the two of us are kind of joined on the hip. As how do we get back to the culture of helping people realize that it's better to have a culture based on free enterprise and free markets than a secular world culture which doesn't appreciate that. Indeed, in fact, you know, Natasha Sardorch actually originally hails from Eastern Europe, from the former Yugoslavia. She's an American citizen, was educated, and got her MBA here in the United States in the Boston area. And Natasha, you've also talked about how socialism has crept in into the United States. That's a problem that I see, that we see a convergence of uh, America today with post-communist Eastern Europe, where there's no respect for the rule of law, for independent judiciary, for protection of property rights. Do you see the same trend, Foster? Oh, absolutely. But here's, I think, one way we can combat it. We can win the public relations war very easily. I recently uh, did an op-ed for uh, Daily Caller, and they printed it last week. And the structure was, why was Charleston, where, where nine people were killed by the extremists, and all nine families forgave him? So in Charleston, they didn't have riots. They had vigils. Contrast that to the George Floyd situation, and they didn't have vigils. They justified that to shoot policemen in the face and burn down major cities across America. So what sort of a culture do we want to have? And let's help people understand the cultural background between those two actions. In Charleston, they embraced what Thomas Jefferson said. Thomas Jefferson said, of all the value systems, ancient and modern, that have come under my observance, none is as pure as that of Jesus contrasted the worldview that took place in Minneapolis, and it was a secular worldview. You throw a rock through my window, I get to burn down your church. None of the ideals that Jesus articulated about forgive a person seven times, no, seven times 70. Always consider other people more important yourself. You've been set free to free to serve. Never return evil for evil. So Thomas Jefferson understood the importance of to create a sane and safe culture which fosters outriders, and hopefully in conjunction working with uh, Ben Carson, can reintroduce and embolden those and not call them Christian ideals. 
because Christianity has been so demonized. So instead of talking about let's have restore the Christian worldview, let the pastors of America bring people to the realization of who Jesus was. And what I want to do is just let uh, people know the insights of Thomas Jefferson of how Jesus taught people to treat one another. Always treat people the way you want to be treated. If you look at all the things that Jesus taught, it's very hard for anybody to oppose those. So we're creating sort of little projects which allow people who heretofore have had a secular worldview to embrace. For example, Foster's Outriders Litter Brigade. And so the Litter Brigade hires a group of people from the shelters, pays them $15 an hour to pick up trash. You can find the far leftists who say, hey, I can contribute money to that. Because if we're going to solve our country's problems, We've got to rely on the private sector. And if you take nine, take eight zeros, Natasha, off the government numbers so we can compare it to a household, you will find a household earning something like 34000 spending 66000 with a $265,000 credit card tab. Now, how are you going to get the government to be able to sponsor any of these projects as opposed to the private sector, where Denny Sanford just gave, as a private citizen, $2 billion to start Sanford Medical System in the Midwest. So my encouragement is to try to set an example to get the private sector, the people who now control all the money, to buy these private sector projects that make the world better. We truly have had a, a great delight in hosting Secretary Ben Carson on America's Roundtable, and it's so commendable that you and Secretary Ben Carson are teaming up uh, to certainly empower our fellow Americans. Foster, you and your wife have taken a leadership role through philanthropic endeavors and investing in unique projects in America and beyond our shores. And as Natasha mentioned, one of the principles that contributed to America's greatness was America's giving spirit through volunteerism and financial giving. Now, I would like to just quote a gentleman on two brief uh, excerpts here, and that is Mr. Carl Zinmeister. And he is the editor-in-chief of Philanthropy Magazine, and he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal on January 8, 2020, titled The War on Philanthropy. I quote, When the total of all U.S. philanthropy becomes available this summer, it will show that Americans voluntarily gave away $430 billion in 2019. He also states, authoritarians have always hated independent civil society. Russian, Iranian, and Chinese dictators clamped down on charities in recent years because they want the state to be the only forum for human influence, unquote. And yet in another piece via Philanthropy Roundtable titled Less God, Less Giving, the author Karl Zinsmeister writes in the winter of 2019, I quote, Three giving levels vary by particular faith. Mormons are the most generous Americans, both by participation level and by size of gifts. Evangelical Christians are next. Then come mainline Protestants, and uh, Jews give higher dollar amounts on average. But it also points to the fact that the participation of a younger generation has diminished. And as recently as 2016, that uh, population of uh, religious affiliation amongst the young people and others and adults in America reduced to 76%. Foster, what is your message to our fellow Americans and specifically a younger generation about the opportunity to be more involved in giving back to our local communities and volunteering and investing in our fellow citizens' future? Well, I hope I and people like Danny Senford and 
and all these people are giving of their private money can can get them thinking about what is their purpose in life? What is the mission God has given them? And God has given them the mission of being a channel of his love to others, to be his hands and feet in a hurting world, and to be blessing every person he puts in their path. I think the young people are quite idealistic and would really gravitate onto those versus socialism, which is based on I'm owed something. I want free education. I want free I want food stamps. I want free rent. And I think it's not too hard for any thinking person to say, what is a better worldview? If you look at the two worldviews, and it's, you know, it's always risky to simplify things. But growing up as a little kid, you know, my mom's saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that worldview about being part of God's plan for how he wants to change the world And I just wrote an op-ed that Daily Caller published last week. What are God's dreams? Everybody talks about what is God's will, but what does he dream about what our country should look like? And how can each of us participate in making that change? And you contrast that worldview, which allowed Charleston to have vigils rather than riots, with the secular worldview. And every time I do an op-ed, the the editors never want to capitalize secular with a capital S. But President Obama said, people with no religion. One of the mayors of uh, one of the major cities said, uh, people with no religion. There's no such thing as people with no religion. The, the correct name for that is secularism. So how does a secularist get its self-esteem, unlike person who believes that they're fulfilling God's plan? And during my adventure here in the hospital, Mayo Clinic, I see all these young, very dynamic nurses carrying bedpans because you know that they believe that's what God has part of their plan. Where does the secular person get its self-esteem? Materialism. My house and my car are bigger than your house and your car. Two, prestige. I'm president of Rotary Club, and you're just a brand new member. And here's the one that kills everybody. A secular person gets their self-esteem from power. And look what we've seen, what they will do to gain that power because then they feel important. Look at the travesty of what Dianne Feinstein tried to do with Kavanaugh, trying to nail something that he did as a 17-year-old four decades ago. That is not part of our, our nation's underpinning, and that's not what our nation has stood for. It stood for every day we get to start anew. What was the basic vision of, of all the things that Jesus articulated as to how do we make our society better? The one that really sticks in my mind when they're jabbing him in the side with spears, putting thorns on the head, ridiculing, spitting him, putting him on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think until we on, on the right develop that attitude, hate does not drive out hate. Love drives out hate. So I think I encourage every person that it possible to set an example of what the Jesus worldview is. This year, I was so blessed with my investments. My accountant called me up and he was stunned. He said, in 2020, you made $83 million in your stock picks. I was stunned because that's a very big number for even someone who's been in the industry. And then my accountant calls me and tells me that This year, the federal government allows you to deduct all 100% of anything you gave away. So I said to my wife, okay, let's give it all away. So we gave $20 million to our uh, foundation, $20 million to our National Christian Foundation, which is a donor-advised fund that allows us to put money there, get the deduction, and give it out over the future. And then we gave the remaining $43 million 
We gave it away to our friends in $100,000 chunks. So we'd say, tell us what charity you like, and we'll send them $100,000 in your name. If we did that to 43 different charities and different friends, we're hoping that will have some kind of a, a ripple effect. We'll get more people like Danny Senford giving $2 billion for health care causes. And I'm, I'm told Bill Gates designed and built a nuclear plant. Uh, using his funds. So if you look at where the future of our country is financially, the numbers I just gave you, the federal government isn't in a position to to finance a highway system like uh, Eisenhower did. And so we have to have more of the Denny Sanfords who pop up and say, okay, I see a problem in drug addiction in San Francisco. Let's figure out if we can find an opportunity to hire these people, like we're hiring Foster's Outriders litter brigade and do good things for people to get them self-esteem and back working. I just hope more people listening to this will say, hey, what can I do to finance something that will, you know, has $10, $15 to send into the various efforts that Foster's Outrider is going to be promoting. And we're promoting Rachel's Challenge, uh, an effort to stop bullying and drug abuse. Uh, Rachel Scott was the first Columbine victim. We have another project. We're providing low-income scholarships to kids that can let their parents pick the school of their choice. And we have about 12 or 15 of these things that hopefully people will say, hey, I can get involved. I don't need all the money I have. Uh, Foster, your generous giving is an example for many, and you you have lived by the principle, it's more blessed to give than receive. How would you encourage successful high net worth individuals to increase their engagement through philanthropy? Well, I think just get to watch and see people who have done that and see the joy that comes into their heart. I mean, you can imagine the joy Lynn and I have of knowing how we've been able to impact these 43 different ministries. And I think they start thinking, you know, what are they going to do with their money? I, I teased that my accountant said he came out of the vaults the other day and it's got my dollar bills are getting mold on the edges. It's not, it's not our money. It's God's money. And why don't we have the joy of participating with him and how, how we can help him fulfill his dreams? What are God's dreams? And how do we, who have the resources, help him fulfill those? Uh, Foster, uh, one of the major issues that American citizens and voters have to deal with is the lack of transparency and accountability of our legislators who are spending our taxpayer money through omnibus bills. Omnibus legislation packages in one bill diverse subjects which are decided in a single vote by a legislature instead of voting for every subject separately. In this way, they are mixing popular subjects with those that are unpopular and many times carrying favor with special interests groups. Foster, could you kindly share with us about your Foster's Outriders initiative titled One Bill, One Subject? And what would your advice be to the taxpayers and voters who give their consent to be governed and should decide on the laws of the land through their elected representatives? Well, the, the One Bill, One Subject is in 41 states and also Australia, Ireland, Israel, and it makes so much sense. It's so irritating to say, well, we passed the, the CARE Act, passed this $1.9 trillion bill to fight COVID. And only like, what, 9 or 19% went to COVID and the rest went to bail out California and New York. In California, for example, in Los Angeles County, they have a 
a woman who's a doctor, not a uh, medical doctor, but she's a doctor degree from something. And she gets $425,000 a year to be the healthcare official for Los Angeles County. In Atlanta, that same job pays two fifty. So why should the people in Atlanta and Iowa and North Dakota and all these various states put money into a bill to make up for the for the bad decisions that have been made in some of these states like New York and Illinois and, and California. What I was excited about, and maybe when I uh, called up Ron Johnson to do, hey, will you promote one bill, one subject? He says, I like it. I'll jump on it. But I need to call Rand Paul, who two Congresses back promote the same idea. So they both now are sponsoring that but it's not really going anywhere. Remember how Trump pulled out the $12 billion for the post office and they voted on that separately? And then he, he tried to attach the uh, Section 230 on, on the... Uh, Annual defense yeah. spending bill. And so it can be done. In the House, uh, Andy Biggs, who, as you know, heads up the House, he instantly jumped on and he says, this is a perfect idea. So we have about maybe 10 or 12 people the Freedom Caucus who are promoting one bill, one subject. So I guess the trick is how do we get the momentum of people hearing your message today and going to their congressman and said, why aren't we promoting one bill, one subject? In fact, Liz Cheney, who is our congresswoman from Wyoming, got in a lot of hot water with voters because she voted for this 6,000-page bill with all this stuff in it that you're talking about. And instantly people were calling me to say, hey, Can, can you run against her? We can't tolerate this kind of legislative decision-making. It's insanity. Yes. Right, right. Yes, yeah, we are, we are used as a piggy bank uh, for any federal spending, and voters are entitled to know how do they representatives vote on each particular subject. Exactly, exactly. And, and uh, I think that gets the people closer to, to the votes. When I ran for governor in 2018, I had a very emotional moment where I went through a, a welding facility and afterwards, as I was departing, they took a picture and the picture shows me in the middle of the eight of them in a white, white, white shirt and it surrounded me with these guys who are just filthy with soot and dirt because they've been welding all day. And I said, who's really looking out for these people? They're, they're, mm. they're treated like they're taken advantage of because they would never spend money for these things that Congress spends money for. And I think they, if they had a chance to look at what each item was voted on, they would be more involved. And we need the American people to get more involved. Too many Americans are so busy, they don't have time to engage. Indeed, Foster, as we conclude our time together on America's Roundtable, I'd just like to return to your recently authored piece titled, What Are God's Dreams? And I would like to read a very brief portion for our listeners from your compelling essay. I quote, Foster's Outriders is enamored with Thomas Jefferson's view of all the systems of morality, ancient or modern, which have come under my observation. None appears to me so pure as that of Jesus, unquote. And then you also share about the fact that, and I quote, I would see America as one of the most harmonious, loving communities if it weren't for those who want to exploit divisiveness for their own profitability and power, are those who are in the press and the kingdom of D.C., special interest groups who benefit from dissension and make money off it. What can we do to counter them, you ask, unquote. What are some of your ideas and thoughts and principles that you would like to 
summarize and articulate to Christians, Jews, and even secularists, those on America's left or right, and America's citizens who represent every continent of the world here in the United States, and especially during the sacred season when millions reflect on the exodus from Egypt through the ancient yet living Jewish Passover traditions, and Christians reflecting on the life of Christ and his profound teachings. I think there's several things. None, we have to seek truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth is that you're free. Black Lives Matter, for example, all these big corporations gave money because of the Floyd George incident. Most people don't realize it was incorporated in Europe several years earlier, and originally the website, which has now been scrubbed, showed three founders, a black woman who says, I'm a trained Marxist, a second black woman who said, I want to promote the transgender agenda, and a third woman who had been a member of uh, Malcolm X's chapter who wanted to get rid of the nuclear family. Mom, dad, and kids just didn't work for her. So if people knew more about the truth of what some of these movements stand for, that's step one. Step two is to engage in efforts to make the world a better place, such as what I mentioned earlier is uh, Rachel's challenge. The Green family uh, in South Carolina provide fresh water when there's tragedy in like in the Bahamas or Hurricane Hugo and take the gospel message with it. In, in addition to Foster's uh, Litter Brigade, we are also financing the replacement of people's teeth when they come out of prison. It's all rotted out with meth. And so we're providing them at no cost to them a complete replacement of the these, not dentures, but transplants. The other thing about truth, you know, we have Michelle Obama talking about embedded racism. Well, how does that manifest it? There's something that they see that we don't see because she's married to a black guy who was elected president of the United States twice. And she and, and Barack Obama own $11.5 million beach house in Martha's Vineyard. That, that doesn't look like blatant racism to me. And LeBron James, how many millions of dollars does he make? If you go, if you X out the Kingdom of D.C. rhetoric that spews out onto us in the colonies and look at every shopping center you go to, you'll find blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics shopping together, eating at the food courts together, laughing together harmoniously. Watch the basketball games uh, that are taking place now, and you see black and white teammates hugging each other in victory and then going over and consoling their black and white uh, opponents. So truth is, we have so much love among the various races, and we have so many people who are blacks and whites who love each other. That Why, why do we not have a mechanism why that gets to be made more evident rather than the people on the media who make money off of creating divisiveness. And politicians get elected by creating divisiveness. Indeed, we truly thank you for your leadership, Foster, on so many fronts, on advancing economic freedom in America, on speaking about truth and the importance of our founding principles, and your leadership through philanthropy. Uh, this is Joel and Natasha. We have been truly privileged to have Foster Freeze join us on America's Roundtable this weekend on the Passover and Easter weekend. Thank you so much, Foster, for joining joining us. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Foster. Well, Joe and Natasha, it's been an honor to be invited, and, and I hope that maybe one or two people will be impacted by this and say, hey, we can make the world a better place. 
This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.